Whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you are producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com, the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everybody. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show. I'm super, super excited to have my next guest here. Uh, We have Tom Fishburn, who is founder and CEO of The Marketunist. And I would bet that you have seen some of his sketches out there uh, that are so amazing, Um, sketches and actually cartoons, and that are not only entertaining, but also um, so informative. And uh, Tom actually lives in Marin County, uh, where I live as well. So we're we're sort of neighbors and uh, get to see each other every once in a while. But it's really, really nice to be able to record him and share a little bit more about his story. So uh, every time I see an email in my inbox, he is definitely one that I open. Uh, he's got an incredible uh incredible newsletter or email group that I'm a part of that is just so good. And he's got a marketing agency where 
lots of incredible companies hire him in to kind of help him think about how do we describe different types of um, kind of explanations that we're trying to get out to customers or teams. He's worked with uh, amazing companies like Google, Kronos, uh, LinkedIn, and Hint uh, way back in, in some of the early days. And he's also the author of Your Ad Ignored Here, uh, which is a compilation of uh, nearly 200 workplace cartoons. And Tom is an advocate for using humor to convey difficult messages. And I can't wait to talk to him more and have him on the show. So thanks, Tom, for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. It's so great to be here. Let's go way back to when... <laughs> You know, Tom Jr. So did you always know that you were going to be a cartoonist? I loved cartoons. I dreamed about being a cartoonist. But I, I, as I got older, I didn't think it could actually be a real job. But I was always drawing cartoons. I was making flip books and making, you know, silly putty cartoons <laughs> taken wow. from the Sunday paper and erasing the, the words to make uh, new cartoons about my brothers, uh, things like that. So I always loved cartoons. And then I got older and I, and I you know, I just I just didn't see how you could get from here to there, uh, particularly when I started to, to to hear cartoonist stories and learn that newspapers and magazines were declining. And and it just didn't seem like, uh, there. let's just say there was nobody on my college campus recruiting for cartoonists. Yes. So it was one of those things that was kind of uh, tons of fun and I dreamed about it, but it became the type of thing that I would do nights and weekends as a hobby for a long time. So what was your favorite cartoon growing up? So Calvin and Hobbes, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely one of my favorites. Uh, Far Side, Gary Larson, uh, Berkeley Breathed, Drew Bloom County. Those three cartoons were the, were the biggest, uh, kind of my, my, my favorite ones as far as the, the regular newspaper cartoons. And I loved uh, New Yorker cartoons. We always had a subscription to the New Yorker. So I poured so over those, even if I didn't get all the references as, as a kid. Yeah, I had fun just looking at the artwork, and I could I could kind of get a sense of what was going on there. So I just grew up surrounded by cartoons. So what was your first job out of college? I was trying to figure out what to do, and so I, I took a summer job working on a dude ranch in Wyoming. It's a bit of a have a pause and think about where to go next, and it was great fun. Um, but when I finished up the summer, all of my friends were moving to Atlanta and starting to get professional jobs. And there was part of me that just wanted to do something a bit more adventurous. So I bought a one-way ticket to the Czech Republic and moved there, not knowing anybody. And uh, within a week, I'd gotten a job working for the first English language magazine in Prague. Oh. And I met my my wife, <laughs> who was living there as well, Tally. That's how we met and um, and had a place to live. I ended up living in Prague for a year, which was a great adventure. And also taught me a little bit about business because it was a startup magazine, uh, really on the frontier as uh, Eastern Europe was was really shifting from from being being a communist economy to suddenly having all of these startups everywhere, which was a tremendous amount of fun. What year was this that you were? Nineteen ninety five. Ninety five. So it was yes. Amazing. I think I was there. I was in Prague. I think it was the end of 93 and it was the mm -hmm. same and it was the same thing it was like changing and you could just feel yeah. the change i i always uh share with people that it's uh i was in shanghai actually when shanghai was going through that and going through mm. uh changes of actually um 
putting highway systems in in uh, the early, or it was 1996, 1997. And whenever you can go into a country and actually see that shift, I mean, it's really powerful. Yes. You can really is eye-opening. So, so going back to the startup that you were at, was that kind of the first like moment when you thought, okay, maybe I'm home. Like maybe I'm actually seeing something that I can go and do. You can go hang a shingle and go and do something. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long, term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is The Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, it's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell, or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. 
And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health, as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun, from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of The Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for The Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. It was, it was so empowering to know that you could have a bunch of, you know, people figuring it out. You mm -hmm. know, we were all, everybody was figuring things out just being in, in that environment, but then starting a business and figuring out all the aspects that go into that. And we, you know, it was bootstrapping everything. We had two Power Mac computers. We'd lay out the whole magazine and we had to run them in shifts right before production deadlines. And the Macs would get so hot, we'd take the, the hood off of it and have a fan directly on the Mac because it would freeze up. And we would have to take shifts in the middle of the night to lay out the magazine. And I had some design background, so I'd lay out ads. I was also selling ads. I was writing articles. So it was this idea of, of a real small bootstrap environment where you're, you know, you know, the, the, you basically do everything from the sublime to the ridiculous. You're selling ads and you're emptying out the trash cans. Everything you have to do as an early stage startup. It taught me a lot. Yeah. And, you know, and, and we, you know, it, it, it was, it was sometimes rocky and bumpy and, uh, it was in some ways a difficult first job out of college mm -hmm. because you join a large organization. They sort of teach you, uh, it's a, it's, it can be a learning environment where they teach you the right way to operate, but we were just figuring it all out. Yeah. Uh, later on, I worked in bigger companies and I'm glad that I did, but having worked in Prague, I really missed the small stage. And so I wanted to find a way to get back to that at some point. So after Prague, you came back to the U S and what was the next step? Uh, so my wife is from California and we, you know, spent a year dating in Prague and decided to move to San Francisco. And it was the late nineties and the internet was starting to take off. And in some ways the environment felt you know, similar as Eastern Europe in 95, just all these businesses and opportunity opportunities. And so I joined a small uh, internet development company that ended up growing with the growth of everything in the late 90s. And we built a lot of websites for, for big companies, a lot of the first websites for airlines and hotels, and as well as uh, .coms at that time. And uh, I did that for, for three and a half years, I guess, until applying to business school. And at the time, everybody was like, why would you be leaving this environment to go to, to, go to business school? But as it turned out, the timing worked out pretty well. I, I was accepted right before everything crashed in the spring of 2000. Wow, that's incredible. So you go to you go to business school and I heard you were 
cartooning a little bit while you were there on uh, the back of case studies. And and <laughs> I read that you started sharing your cartoons back in 2002, I guess, in your work environment. But what was the connection there that you actually thought, okay, maybe I can start to do this and actually do this every single day? Yeah, the well, the the, the light bulb for me in, in business school was interesting because I'd always drawn cartoons, but I never really showed them to anyone. Certainly mm-hmm. not people who aren't my close friends. And so to suddenly be in the student newspaper every week in in business school was was a, a real rush. Uh, I had an experience. The first cartoon I drew was making fun of a class we all took. And then I went into that class and the professor started out by putting it on on the screen for everybody. And I had a moment of panic as every, you know, suddenly there are 90 people looking at something I'd created. And then they started laughing. And to be in a room when they were all laughing collectively at something I created was such a rush. And I realized I want to keep doing this. And so after two years of drawing this business school cartoon, I just, I loved it. I wanted to keep it going. And when I graduated and didn't have a student newspaper anymore, I thought I want to uh, just find some way to draw a cartoon about something that people might appreciate. And because I went to work in marketing, that became the natural fit to draw cartoons about my day job. Um, Initially, just for, I thought it would just be for my coworkers. I sent an email to all the people I worked with at General Mills. Uh, We sort sort of started an organization like that in classes. So there were like 35 to 50 people kind of who had just gotten out of business school who were starting at General Mills. And I just sent an email with my cartoon and said, if you want to get more of these, here's how you sign up. And if you know of any friends who might be interested, forward it along. And so that's the only bit of outbound push I ever did. It started with those 35. And then within a few weeks, I had a few hundred, then a few thousand and tens of thousands. And now it's a few hundred thousand people a week who get my weekly marketing cartoon. And this October, it will be 20 years. That's incredible. No, it's amazing how you have grown this so much. So you left your full-time job, uh, and that was at General Mills, right? Is that where you were at? Or where where were you when you left in 2010 to make this a full-time? I had moved from General Mills. I was at Nestle, and then I was at Method, so a smaller yeah. you know, consumer products company uh, where I learned a lot. Um, and it was at Method that I, I finally made the jump in 2010 to do this full-time. That's right, that you were at Method. So I think like the idea of actually taking the marketing side of it too, and it, I mean, it's it's a real skill. It's sort of like being able to write in uh, in shorter versus longer. I mean, it's it, for to get ideas across. That's what I've noticed with what you do. And, and it's just super, super ins- inspiring. So where'd you get the courage to finally just say, <laughs> you know, okay, I'm finally going to go do this? Because Method was still super, they hadn't been sold, right? Like they were, right, right. Um, you know, where did you get that courage to just say, okay, I'm going to go and do this? It was, um, it was a series of things. I kind of, I, I was dreaming about it, but I basically, from the time that I, I started this particular cartoon to the time that I left was eight years. And it was eight years of occasionally dreaming, maybe this could be something bigger. And then quickly thinking, but I'm on a good place. Would it, how, what, you know, is this the right time to make the leap? We had a young family. I always joke it's the sitcom demographic, single income, two kids, oppressive mortgage. Totally. Like it never seems like the right time to make yeah. the jump. And <laughs> I found myself, we were living in England. Method sent me to London to, to help get Method started in, in Europe. And it was a great job and a great experience, real entrepreneurial stuff. There were just a few of us on the ground who were getting this brand going. And I, I got it. I um, heard about this this uh, another small brand that was a clothing brand based in Wales called Hyatt, mm-hmm. and uh, or actually sorry called um, called uh, uh, blanking on the name now. 
Anyway, it'll come to Howie's. Excuse Howie's. me. Howie's, okay. Howie's, which is which is kind of like a tim, uh, kind of Timberland for the UK, and uh, there was a, a, a founder led company, and they were they were organizing an event to bring bring people to, together to encourage entrepreneurs to take that leap. And they called it the Do Lectures. And I reached out to them and I, I said, the story of Method would be great for the Do Lectures. Yeah. And they got back to me and they said, Method would be a great story, but it's not your story. It would probably be the founder of Method's story. Maybe maybe you could introduce us to them. And it, that little question that it's not my story started to like, started to gnaw at me. It started mm. to make me wonder what's my story. And they invited me to come just as an attendee. And the first year that I went, it was, it was this surreal environment. It was almost like a little TED talk mixed with Burning Man that's in the middle of a field in Wales. And it was all mostly Brits. The only other American, strangely, was Tim Ferriss. He'd come over as a speaker. And we're all staying in tents and all day long, all these people, and entrepreneurs are talking about these big, bold entrepreneurial leaps they'd taken. And at the end of that three days, I left there seeing I got to find a way to make cartoons my story. And so that was what lit the first fire. And then secondly, to your question about the leap, uh, the same uh, entrepreneurial couple, uh, David and Claire Hyatt, they went on to start a company called Hyatt. Um, he had this analogy that I found really useful that he called the V1 marker. He said, when an airplane's going down a runway and it's getting to a place where it's going to take off, there's a point that it reaches V1 speed, which is kind of the point of no return. And when you hit V1, V1 speed, you either take off or you crash. And he said, for entrepreneurs, it never seems like the right time to take the jump. So what you should do is imagine yourself on a runway and then imagine what would be true for you to take that jump. What's your own V1 marker? What conditions would have to be true in order for you to take the jump and actually start a business? And so for me, I just kind of wrote a few things down on the back of a, of a sheet of paper that I wanted to have. Um, I wanted to have moonlighting income equal to half my salary. I wanted to have a business plan to get to the other half within, within a calendar year. I wanted to have uh, the support of my wife and I wanted to have a home equity line of credit. Mm -hmm. So those four things. And so I kind of headed off down the runway. And then suddenly I found myself where those conditions happened and I, I and it made it really clear to me. Now's the time to take the jump. That's awesome. And wh what was your first business that hired you to come in and kind of help them to explain something really difficult? I had been um, moonlighting for a little bit on this. I didn't initially plan on it, but I would start to get requests from people who were reading my cartoons and said, hey, can you create something for our brand? Uh, the first one was actually the Asian Wall Street Journal. Hmm. Uh, they contacted me saying that we have a business challenge that a lot of people are subscribed to the Asian Wall Street Journal, but people kind of read the front page and then don't really read the rest of it. And then their subscriptions are lapsing because they don't realize all the good stuff that's inside. Hmm. So they had the idea of creating a little 20-page cartoon book to tuck into the front of every edition uh, about how to get the most out of the journal. So I created cartoons about all the different sections of the journal and, and, and with a cartoon lens, talked about all the things you'd be missing out on if you weren't reading the paper regularly. Hmm. And that was to, to get them to approach me was, uh, was a big moment for me because they do have cartoons in the, in the Wall Street Journal, but it's kind of the size of a postage stamp. It's super tiny. Totally. And they get tons of submissions just to get that tiny spot. And the fact that they reached out to me, uh, it kind of, it, it was a, it was a, it, it gave me a bit of an insight that what the value that I brought was not just that I was a cartoonist, but that I was a cartoonist with a marketing background. And this idea that there was something that I uniquely did, mm -hmm. um, that if I can really get a handle on what I uniquely do, that could actually be something that could, that could turn into something bigger. So that was my first insight. 
Hey, Kara here. We are thrilled you are listening with us, and I hope you're enjoying this episode. I've had the pleasure of interviewing so many amazing guests over the past few years, and there are so many more to come. I cannot wait. And my focus is on entrepreneurs and CEOs, real innovators and leaders who are making a difference. That's what I'm looking forward to bringing you. One of the reasons I enjoy interviewing many of my guests is that I get to learn. We all need to hear stories that teach us to be better, inspire us, and help us get through those challenging moments. I can't remember the last time I had a guest that didn't leave me feeling like a major hurdle had been overcome. We just don't hear these stories enough. And when we do, we learn to be smarter and stronger. Don't you agree? Episodes are concise but packed with amazing info that you will surely be inspired by. Do me a favor and send me a DM and tell me what you think about each interview that you get a chance to be inspired by. And if you are so inclined, please leave one of those five-star reviews for The Kara Golden Show on one of your favorite podcast platforms as well. Reviews really, really help. Now, let's get back to this episode. What do you think has been the toughest thing or most surprising thing that you've learned about starting your own business that maybe no one told you even in business school? I think that there's there's a moment after I'd made the leap. There was maybe there was maybe a, a kind of 2 months after that I had this panic moment of what have I done? Mm-hmm. Like the buyer's remorse. Mm-hmm. And uh a few people warned me about that, but I thought I had a pretty good plan. And then I found myself two months afterwards and the original plan, you know, things just have evolved and changed and certain clients I thought would come through, didn't come through. And there was a moment of, of real panic where I thought I'm going to have to call back my old boss and say, I've made a terrible mistake. Why? Right. And I, and I think it was also the idea. I started to imagine myself going to my next Harvard business school reunion and seeing all of my successful former classmates and describing to them that I'd left this high growth company to basically be a cartoonist. Yes, right. And so my own self-worth on that, I, I imagined that people would see what I was doing as equivalent to, you know, making balloon animals at a county fair rather than creating something that was actually a business. And a lot of it had to do with my own self-worth connected to the business. Mm-hmm. And I had to do, uh, as a result, it forced me to really think about what was really important to me and to address some of the things that were going on sort of in my own thinking about the business to define what my own metrics for success would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've since come to find that it's an un- it's not an uncommon story. A lot of entrepreneurs, when they start things, there are t- tons of buyer's remorse. And, totally. and particularly when it's something very personal and you're bootstrapping it, um, you're going to hit these moments where where uh, you wonder if you're making the right decisions. And so it's it's good to be surrounded by people who are supportive, who can remind you to keep going yeah. and remind you why you're doing what you're doing. And for me, I got through that and eventually got to the, you know, the other side and clients were coming and suddenly doors that I never expected would even be there started opening. Yeah. And they only opened because I'd made that initial leap. But when I made that initial leap, I had no idea they would be there. So there, if there was certainly like a leap. It, was, it really was a leap of faith. And I, I started to give myself a uh, little uh, permission six months out that if I ever felt like maybe this isn't working, maybe I made a terrible mistake, I would, I would say, okay, I can put a marker now, six months out from now, if I still feel this way, 
maybe I can make a change, but I'm not going to suddenly make a rash decision just because I'm feeling uncomfortable in the moment. So interesting. I would imagine too that sometimes you're in a company and you're you're helping people uh, create these messages that they've been trying to figure out exactly how to articulate these messages, and then people want you to do more. Do you ever get to a point where you're like, okay? Like, this is what I do and, you know, versus actually being a, a marketing arm inside of a company where they want you to take on more. I mean, I, I know this has happened to you. It, it definitely has happened. And it, there, there, is, it's, it, there are two sides to that because, yes, it's true that I need to define uh, boundaries. And I've gotten better over time at, at thinking about, I want to stay with what I uniquely do yeah. well. And, um, and get over the fear sometimes I find that I better say yes to everything because maybe tomorrow nobody will want to hire me again. I've kind of, it's taken some time, but over time I've gotten more confidence in what I do to know that, that, uh, that, you know, that there's value there I can keep leaning on. But the other side of that is I do often learn from, uh, clients and projects where the scope goes broader than what I initially thought would be there. You know, I, 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 you know, there've been a number of times where I thought maybe uh, they're asking me to do something I haven't done before, but this is a good chance to figure out if I know how to do that. Um, one of the big shifts was uh, I, I often would be brought in to create cartoons for external marketing campaigns. Um, but suddenly somebody asked, can you create cartoons for our own organization? You know, we're going through a major transformation. We want to talk about these very difficult topics around transformation and how we can be more entrepreneurial and things like this. Can you create cartoons about our culture, things that, you know, finding humor in things we want to move away from so that they're not taboo, so that we're giving permission to the organization to laugh at ourselves of where we're not living up to where we want to be. And that uh, was definitely out of my wheelhouse. But as I experimented with that, it was great fun. I learned a lot. And now it's about one third of the projects that I take on are more for internal culture change purposes, using humor as a way to, to guide companies through uh, difficult times or to try to try to move from one place to another. And so I try to learn, I try not to be too rigid, but I also try to have some boundaries to make sure I'm not stretching myself too thin over time. What was a one of the hardest assignments you've been given that you just couldn't do? Or maybe you did, you were able to do it, but it was really, really tough. I've been almost surprised on the opposite. The areas where I thought would be least appropriate for humor potentially, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or the most guardrails, you know, areas related, you know, HR areas, for right. instance, uh, areas related to you know, where I imagine that the client would be a stuffy conference room with all sorts of rigid rules yeah. and people saying, no, we can't find any humor in this whatsoever. Um, surprisingly, those have been the ones that have been most effective, I think, because they haven't traditionally had humor there. Hmm. And I found that, um, so I've done a number of projects related to HR related issues, a lot of legal related issues, things that tend to be very, uh, very rigid and stuffy. And I find that even even in those organizations, even when you get to that sort of a place, everybody working there are still people with their own human needs and, yeah. and things they find funny. And once I can talk on a human level with them, uh, after a short conversation, I can very quickly get to a place where there are things that we can laugh collectively about. And it's such a relief in those environments to do that. Um, I'll give one, one example, just, just trying to understand the culture and what can be funny. Um, I worked with a, uh, the largest bank in, in Asia, uh, DBS Bank. They're based in Singapore. Um, I've never 
visited Singapore. I've been in Southeast Asia a few times, but I've, I don't know that environment very much. But what I knew about the bank from our initial conversations is that it was very hierarchical and they were trying to be more, uh, they were trying to think a little bit more like a startup. Um, and so they're aware of some things they, they needed to, to change, but they wanted to create cartoons about their culture. And I thought, how can I create something that's uh, done in a sensitive way that will be relevant and understandable to everybody there that can find humor in the fact that they're, they can be kind of, kind of rigid. And um, I just listened a lot and I interviewed a lot of employees and I took notes and I noticed, um, I noticed I kept hearing the same word over and over again. Uh, and the word was scolded. People mm. were fearful of being scolded by their manager. And I thought, hey, I'm not used to hearing that word in a business environment. That's interesting. Yeah. So maybe there's something in the word scolded. And so I started playing with concepts involving somebody getting punished in the classroom, like they did something. And, you know, and, and there's a classic example of, of a teacher making a student sit in the corner with a paper dunce hat on yeah. their head. And I was like, maybe there's something there. But um, that paper dunce hat means nothing in Singapore, I found out. <laughs> they just don't know that reference. And so I had this funny exchange where I was presenting these concepts to a large room um, and they were very hierarchical in the room. And I was sharing these concepts and they didn't get that. And I was like, is there an example that comes to mind if you're a kid and you get in trouble in class, something that a teacher makes you do to embarrass you in front of the students. And one of the most senior people in the room, kind of a vice president of the bank, stands up and he walks in the corner and he, he does this thing that I'd never seen before where he, he crossed his arms, he holds onto his earlobes and he sort of squats in the corner. And everybody, it was the first time I heard the whole room laugh. Like they all laughed because that's so recognizable for, you know, they're growing up. Yeah. I was like, yes, if you can trouble, that's exactly what you have to do. And they sent me a picture of this executive and he's, you know, it's a serious environment, but he's willing to go in the corner and hold on his earlobes and squat like that in the corner. And it was so funny. And it just, it was like the, the air was let out of the balloon in the room. And I created a cartoon kind of on that. I drew somebody in the corner posed like that. And somebody at a conference table saying, you know, anybody else have an idea they'd like to test or throw out there? And uh, awesome. they, it really, it worked for them. And it was a lesson for me um, to just, if I go into a challenging situation, to listen and look for human moments and then find ways to use, you know, cartoons to bring those li to life in a funny way. And I learned how much humor is just universal. How much of your cartoons is just living, you know, just you rec versus research? It, there's there's a lot of research yeah. to it, but it's trying to trying to research and get it all kind of kind of baked in, so I so I have some domain knowledge, and then and then stepping away from it and just trying to walk around with that and live and live my life and mm -hmm. find connections to what I've just researched into what I'm seeing on a day to day basis. So it's kind of both. If I'm in the weeds reading about an organization, their marketing strategy, or their business culture. I'm I'm almost too close of it, close to it. I have to like soak in it, and then I have to go away and kind of just be playful and doodle scenarios until things start to come to me. Um, so it's it's a lot. I, I usually have a sketchbook with me when I'm walking around, and often I'll observe something, and that observation I'm not quite sure how it'll show up. It may show up in my weekly marketing cartoon. It may show up in a project I'm working on with a client, and I, I kind of tailor it to fit their business. But I'm always, it, it, I've realized over time that the, that drawing cartoons regularly has been a form of exercise for me to remind me to pay attention to what's going on in the world. Um, and to, it makes me, makes me more observant over time. That's, no, so true. So can you share a story of a challenge or a failure you've had along the way mm -hmm. where uh, 
you know, you learned a lot. Um, maybe it's it's something that you didn't expect. I, you know, share with you. I mean, definitely my big story that I talk about in my book is, is Starbucks when we were in Starbucks and then got booted and out of Starbucks and being able to sort of look back on what did I do wrong? Um, but also like, how do I move forward? Because I think we all yeah. need to move forward whenever we have challenges along the way. So I'd love to hear yours. Absolutely. Uh, my, the one that comes to mind is, is one that's probably that I think many entrepreneurs experienced around the same time, but at the start of early COVID, uh, suddenly everything was thrown out the window. Um, I drew a cartoon around that time, imagining a bunch of executives in the conference room and the visual had a huge wrecking ball coming from the side with COVID-19 written on it. And for me, um, you know, within one week, we lost our biggest client and all of my speaking gigs. And so that was pretty scary. Um, uh, and the feedback from that client, um, was, was not only to, to freeze budgets, you know, for just to play it safe, but also uh, the question, is it right? Uh, is humor, uh, valid in a difficult time, basically better too serious than sorry. And so that was kind of scary because my whole business model is built on humor. Um, and, uh, and on the speaking side, you know, I had a, a full schedule of things coming up and suddenly those were off the table. So it taught me a lot about, um, about how to face a situation that seems really scary in the moment. Um, I learned a lot about myself just, um, when there, when there's a, a business threat, I can sometimes tend to go to a catastrophizing mindset where these things are happening. Therefore, it's all over. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then therefore I do nothing. And so I, I found somebody share with me around that time, this acronym for fear, uh, false evidence appearing real. If you're in a fear place, sometimes you can be, you can, you, you actually, you can paint this picture that looks like it's over. Mm -hmm. And I realized if I could just stay where my feet was, uh, feet were, and to think like, what's the next right thing to do for me right now today, uh, and do it sort of 24 hours at a time. It kind of got me through it. And one of the things that I, I realized on that question of better too serious than sorry, around that same time, I started to get messages from people who are reading my regular cartoons and they kept saying, I hope you keep doing this. We need moments of humor now totally. more than ever. Yeah. And I realized, you know, there's a, I want to lean into that. And so I started drawing cartoons about exactly how I was feeling in that moment and how I felt that many were feeling, whether you're in a big organization and suddenly everything's changing or you're a startup. I, I drew a lot of cartoons informed by that raw life experience. Um, but I also started to really think about the role that humor could play in difficult times. And um, I ended up putting together a, a short online presentation for um, a, a publisher in the UK um, specifically on this topic, why we need humor in challenging times. And it, it helped me to articulate the, the, real, the real value that humor plays because humor can be an act of empathy. Sometimes it's one of the best ways to connect with other people or through simple uh, ways to bond over humor. And a lot of organizations, when they're, when they're fearful of using humor, um, sometimes they think humor can only take one form, you know, mm -hmm. the form that could be seen as offensive. When in reality, there are many, many forms of humor, and there are, there are a number of appropriate ways to find humor, even when things are really difficult. And it, just developing this talk helped me articulate my own point of view on that. Um, and ultimately, the talk ended up being very well-received, led to new clients coming in, 
who were, were connecting on that message. It led to uh, speaking invitations that were virtual. I had to figure out how to do, do a good job at doing that. But through that period, it really taught me a lot. And at, at the end of it, um, the, the client that originally stepped away, they've ultimately come back and we're now doing work together again. That's awesome. And I now have a whole uh, way of giving giving uh, uh, conference talks that I never knew existed before, or I didn't think I, you could do them well. And now I'm, I'm giving a combination of in-person and virtual talks. And so it developed a whole new competency for me. But I, the biggest thing was learning how to kind of take it step by step. And, uh, and ultimately, it, it, the, the experience, I think, made, uh, it certainly taught me a lot, but it, it made, I think, the, the business a bit stronger, too, because I, I, it, it really helped me get closer to what the purpose is of what I'm trying to do, which is bringing, finding, you know, realizing that humor is an underappreciated skill in business, that there's a power in humor in business, and, there, and that can take many different forms. It, it, it realizing that helped me uh, look for a whole new ways that I can do what I do in the world of cartoons and beyond. Yep. And it's been it's been a lot of a lot of fun over time to to figure out what that looks like for me. Well, and I think sometimes you know going back to your fear analogy, I mean sometimes people just can't they can't get there right, and they need help. They need mm-hmm. you to come in and show them how humor can come and and help. And I think definitely calm people down in, in many ways. And, and so I think everything about what you're saying, including your story of going through what you've been through in your journey to get to this place where stuff is going to happen along the way, but you just have to keep going and figure out exactly how you get through more than anything. And, and definitely, I so much appreciate all of your talks. You have great talks on uh, your website too. and and also just on social media and your newsletter and everything. So thank you so much for coming on, Tom. I really, really appreciate it. And everybody, the marketoonist, uh, definitely check it out and follow Tom on Tom Fishburn. And where's the best? Do you want to let everybody know uh, where the best place to find uh, on social? Yeah. So well, yeah, actually my website, marketoonist.com has all 20 years of my cartoons there. And then um, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, Tom Fishburne or marketoonist yep. uh, and, and also on, on, uh, on, on Instagram. Uh, so it's, it's always fun to connect with people and how the cartoons resonate with them. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tom. And thanks everybody for listening. Uh, definitely subscribe to the Kara Golden show so that you're not missing out on Great stories and lessons from creators like Tom Fishburne and The Marketunist. And definitely give this episode five stars. It makes a huge difference for the algorithm. Uh, So definitely please help us out by doing that. And find me on all social platforms at Kara Golden. And definitely pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, or also it's available on Audible too. And we're here every Monday, Wednesday, probably going to three days a week very, very soon. And hopefully you'll be subscribing and you'll learn all about that. So have a great rest of the week, everyone. Thanks again, Tom. Thank you. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Undaunted. 
Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.